Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Hey, let's celebrate being in church together this morning. Can we clap and just celebrate that? Listen, we want to make a big deal about the fact that we get together. Uh, you know, it's just God, God has blessed us with this opportunity to be together this morning. And so I'm just honored to be with you. If you're new to ACF or this is your first day, we are thrilled that you're with us here today. And uh, if you're with us online, uh, you are part of our family. Thank you for being with us online as well. I want to encourage you too, as you're here, maybe just pull out your phone at some point and share the online church link. Would you just consider doing that maybe at some point during the service? Just a great chance for your friends and family and uh, for our community to be able to tune in. If you don't know where that's at, you're like, where's the link? Just go to the ACF Church Facebook page or Instagram page. Um, You'll see the link right there at the top. And you can just share that with your friends here today and uh, just use that influence. Use that influence for the kingdom of God. It's just really cool. So um, also just exciting stuff going on. We are pushing toward our Christmas Eve gatherings. We're really excited about that. We're going to be doing five Christmas Eve gatherings. It's going to be a marathon, but it's a ton of fun. Every year our team looks forward to it. And then we kind of collapse into Christmas Day, and uh, it's just it's just a ton of fun. So um, we expect to see our whole community here. It's gonna be a, a lot of fun together, and uh, we've also got the Christmas light drive-through that's been going on, which has been a blast. So thank you for those of you who have been willing to serve at that so far. We've seen over fifteen hundred cars come through so far, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great, and that's that's our city coming onto this campus and just being blessed, which is what we're here to do to be a blessing to our city. And so I just love that. But uh, you have entered into a series called The Ghosts of Christmas. That's what we're doing right now. And uh, we're going to start off in Luke chapter 2 with a classic Christmas scripture. It says this, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Today. Everybody say today. Today. Today is the day. We're, we're talking today about the ghost of Christmas present, about what's happening now, how God is at work now, in this moment. And today is another day for us to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, that Christ is here, which means hope is here, which is really, really good news. That's today. And yet at the same time, today the world is broken. Today the darkness seems to outshine the light. Today people are mistreated. Today, marriages are broken. Today, everybody seems to just want more. Today, many of us are running 
on empty. But today, as we celebrate Christmas, I want you to consider that there is a different way to live. I want you to consider that there is a different way to see the world. And that's what Jesus came to do, is to reframe the way that we see our lives and the way that we see the people that we live this life with. In the classic Charles Dickens novel, A Christmas Carol, three ghosts visit Ebenezer Scrooge, and each one essentially gives him a perspective on his life that he doesn't have and a chance to redeem his life. Last week, we talked about the ghost of Christmas past, and we said that the arrival of Jesus means the removal of shame. Amen to that, huh? The arrival of Jesus means the removal of shame, and we said that guilt is about what you did, but shame is about who you are. And when you follow Jesus, there is no room for shame in your life. Guilt can be good. It's the acknowledgement of sin, and yet shame will destroy you as a Christian. Because who you are is no longer who you were. Who you are is in Christ Jesus. You've been remade completely. You're a new creation. And so that's what we talked about is living into that new creation. Today, we're talking about the ghost of Christmas present. What's happening right now? And in the Dickens novel, the ghost of Christmas present transports Ebenezer all around the city to see the different people that he's impacted, the people whose lives he's overlooked. And there are three major realities that I want to draw out from the story as we move into the text here today. And the first is this, awareness determines impact. The second is gifts, not gods. And the third is our heart's true desire will be revealed. We'll talk about those in a moment. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17. Um, If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Download the ACF Church app, and all the text is going to be there. You can follow along with that as well. And so this is Acts chapter 17. If you don't know the book of Acts or what it's about, essentially this is the story of the church. This is the story of the first century church beginning to grow and expand and all the challenges and blessings that they experienced. Essentially, this is our Genesis story, is the book of of Acts. Where did we begin? It really is in this story. And so we're going to be in chapter 17, verse 22. It says this. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Some of you feel like that today. You're just kind of feeling your way towards God. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Amen. This is God's word for us here this morning. And so it's about 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul has traveled to Athens, Greece to share the gospel. And Athens in its day was known as kind of the intellectual capital 
of the world. And, and so they prided themselves on being very progressive, right? Like we have moved beyond these former things, these simpler things, and we, we're at now advanced as people. And so they put a lot of pride in their progress. And so nothing that we can relate to in America today, right? A lot of pride in their progress. And he's actually invited to speak, which is really cool. He's invited to speak at what's called the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus was this place in the city where the local thinkers and leaders would gather together and debate. They'd make decisions. They would uh, think through what's happening in their culture. And so this is a location right behind me. This is the Areopagus that uh, we're speaking about. It's basically just a big pile of rocks. But you can imagine in their day, it wasn't like today where we can just go get on the news and see what's going on. You can go on Facebook and see what's happening, you know. And like this morning, I was reading about the, uh, the tornadoes that were happening down south in the Tennessee area and um, just the tragedy of that. And, and we get information so quickly, they couldn't do that. And so they would gather together in what they know, knew as like town square. This was like town square. So if you wanted to get information out, if you wanted to make a decision on something locally, if you wanted to, to debate something, you would go to the Areopagus. Now, interestingly enough, Paul, again, he was invited to speak at this location, which means he didn't force himself in. This is cool. So Paul, he was looking for this opportunity, and yet he's honoring where they're at. He doesn't force his way in, and so he shows up, and the first thing he says is, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, I don't know how you would take that. Um, I might take that as an insult, like, Brian, I just see that you're really religious, right? Because Jesus often uses the word religion in a negative connotation. But in this particular moment, Paul is actually giving them a compliment. He's saying like, hey, I can see that you guys really believe what you say you believe. Like you really are spiritual people that go after these things that you say you believe. But he's not showing up with uh, like an axe to grind. He's not showing up with a pitchfork just to kind of make a big deal and, and show up really forcefully. He's really just meeting people where they're at. He's showing up to have a conversation. It says that Paul showed up to reason with them. And uh, just, just so you know, like if you're young in the room, this is what used to happen. Like a long, long time ago, people used to get together who saw things from different perspectives. And then they would have things we call conversations. And in these conversations, we would say, here's what I think. And then you would say, well, here's what I think. And then I would go, oh, okay, well, maybe I should adjust to what you're thinking. Or, or no, maybe you should adjust to what I'm thinking. And then we were all better for it. This, this is how things used to be. And this is what Paul is a part of, is this, this moment where he can show up and reason with other people. And, and, and we believe as a church, we want to lead the way in this in our community. ACF Church, we want to be the kind of people that reason with other people. We don't have to show up with just a pitchfork. Like we're just going to take over this moment. We just need to show up and reason with people and, 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 and care for those people, but also be willing to share what we believe. There is a way to do that. There is a way to have healthy dialogue with people that can actually create progress. And, and I think a lot of Christians are scared of this, but Listen, and not just Christian, I think anybody's scared of having conversation because honestly, maybe we doubt what we believe. But if you believe what you believe is true, then you should not fear healthy dialogue, right? Like, aren't we after the truth? And if we want the truth, then I'm willing to listen to what you have to say because maybe you have something that would help me find a deeper understanding of what, to be what is true. Or maybe you will show me that what I'm seeing is, is false. And so, listen, if we're after the truth, good dialogue's important. Paul leads the way in this. And you just get the sense that Paul is more concerned with winning people's hearts than winning arguments. And that's a word for us, church. 
Don't be so concerned with winning arguments that you forget to win people's hearts. And Paul shows up and cares for the people and, and he understands them. And he sees where they're at and he notices those people. And if you have a pen, I want you to write this down. Awareness determines impact. How aware you are of the world around you will determine how effective of a minister of the gospel you are. Do you understand what's happening in our world? You see, the tendency is, once you believe something or think a certain way, is to isolate from other perspectives, is to become less aware of what's happening culturally. And so everybody can be guilty of this, no matter what you walked in here believing today, is to isolate around other people that believe what you believe. Paul, on the other hand, was always aware of what's happening in the world. He always understood what they were going after. He always understood their mindset because he, he realized that you have, to, you have to know where people are at so that you can take them somewhere. If you want to bring them somewhere, you have to start with where they are. Now, I don't want you to point any fingers in church or get in trouble here, but do you know of anybody in your life that you think is just completely oblivious? Like, no, don't do it. Don't squeeze the hand. Just be careful. <laughs> Some marriage counseling after church today, so... Do you know of anybody that you think, man, it's like they're totally oblivious. Now, I'll be the first to admit, it's me. I can, can be the most oblivious person in the room sometimes. My wife knows this. We'll be driving into town. My mind will be somewhere else, and we'll drive right by the exit because I'm thinking about what's going on in two weeks. Like, I'm somewhere else. In fact, I remember a few years ago, my, my middle child, Avriana, she was very little. We were at the, uh, the Alaska Club at the pool. And, and I'm in there swimming with my daughter, who I'm responsible for in this moment. She's very young. She doesn't swim very well. And, and I start looking around. I just remember I'm looking at, like, the, the rafters. I'm like, how much do you think those things hold? You know, what's the... I wonder who welded those. I'm just like, I'm looking at what's going on. And I look down, and I see this lady, and she is running full bore at me. And I think I'm going to get tackled. And she jumps into the pool and goes under the water and comes out with my daughter, who was drowning right in front of me, drowning, and I completely missed it as a dad. What do you even say to somebody? Hey, appreciate that. You know, like, I don't even know how to thank this lady who just saved my kid's life, but I was completely oblivious. I, I think maybe you've been in moments, maybe not like that, but similar moments where you've been oblivious. I think most of us go through life, hear this, oblivious to the needs of others. Can we admit that? Like most of, most of us don't wake up in the morning and when our eyes open think, how can I meet someone else's needs today? When my eyes open in the morning, I think, what do I need? What I need is some bacon, right? What I need is a shower. What I need is to get in the truck, go to work. I got things to do. That's where my mind goes naturally. We read right before this that Paul notices some idols, these statues of gold and silver everywhere. And here's what he says Verse 16, it says, The longer Paul waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the angrier he got. All those idols, the city was a junkyard of idols. Here's a convicting statement for us maybe in the, in the U.S. today. I think we could say this. We are surrounded by a junkyard of idols. And what you notice is that for Paul, he's frustrated. This angers him because he knows the most damaging thing for a human soul is to worship a God that is false. It's so damaging for us, but we don't realize when we're doing it many times. So Paul's looking around and he's angry, right? He's frustrated. He's looking the brokenness of his city or of this city in the eye, which I get it. It's Christmas. We want to sing happy songs and watch Hallmark movies and just think happy thoughts. But I think for us to appreciate the joy of Christmas, we actually have to look at why Christ came. 
And that's to heal broken people and to, to meet the needs of the world. That's why Christ showed up. And so if you don't look the darkness in the eye, you're not going to be able to appreciate the arrival of Christ for what it is. And so we need to be people that look at the darkness in the world, in ourselves. I know we don't want to think about the darkness in our own hearts this time of year, but there is a root of sin, I think, in everyone's life to some degree or another. And, and oftentimes we're kind of like the person who doesn't want to go to the doctor because we're so scared of the diagnosis. So we just avoid it at all cost. And so what's going to happen is if you get around Jesus, what's going to happen is he's going to shine some light on these parts of your life. And although it will be painful at first, there will be healing because we know avoidance of the problem never results in healing. But when you look it in the eye, when you deal with it head on, Christ can heal us. And that's what he wants to do. We need to be aware, aware of our lives, aware of other people's lives. Remember this, awareness determines impact. Do you want to make an impact on the world? Do you want to make a difference in people's lives? Do you want to have a legacy that you leave on earth that's more than a bunch of stuff? If you do, you'll become aware of the needs around you. And notice this, Paul, he doesn't just become aware, but he feels their needs. And we know that he feels their needs because he gets angry. He gets angry. Now, what do you get angry about? For me, it's normally all the wrong things. I get angry about things, but it's, it's, it's rarely the right type of things. Paul is angry because he sees them destroying their lives with these idols. He sees them worshiping the creation rather than, than the creator. And it, it, it angers him. And this is not just, he's not a rageaholic, right? He's not storming around, stomping, like throwing stuff. He's, he's showing up. He's angry in the same way that God gets angry at your and my sin. Now, why does God get angry at your and my sin? Because he is a good father, right? And what I know about any good father is that we hate the things that destroy our children. You're not a good father if you don't hate the things that destroy your children. You should hate those things. Those things should anger you, not because you hate the child, but because you hate anything that would hurt them. And it's that same kind of anger that Paul has, that God has towards sin. There's just anger and frustration. And the reason is this. You can't have compassion without righteous anger. I think sometimes the church, like we preach so much, don't get angry. Brian, isn't there enough anger in the world? It's not the anger that you see that I'm encouraging. It's an anger we rarely see. It's this frustration with what's wrong in the world and a desire to make it right. And this is our call as believers in Jesus. We really can bring some light into the darkness. We really can show up to really difficult places. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. So this is a prescribed act, okay? It doesn't say, when you're angry, don't sin. It says, be angry. In other words, why aren't you angry about something? Again, you're like, this is the weirdest sermon ever. But... <laughs> Do you got to understand what I'm saying? A righteous anger about the things that are destroying our friends and neighbors and our families. There are things in the world that should anger you. And I'm not just talking about the obvious things. Like, there are obvious things. Like, we should be angry about children that are going to bed tonight without a meal, right? We should be angry about people who are being abused. Things like human trafficking, that people are making a difference in that right now, that should anger us. Certainly those things. But what about the other things beneath the surface? See, you might not be like Ebenezer Scrooge who overlooked people in his community right in front of his face that simply needed a meal. You might be different than that in the sense that you have friends who live in a state of spiritual starvation. 
And, and so they binge them, their lives away on things that will never satisfy them. Do you notice them? Do you notice that in yourself? Do you see the things that are wrong in our lives and look them in the eye? I think the reason we don't is because we live very distracted. Uh, around this season, I ask a lot of you, like, how's life coming into Christmas? What's, what's the one-word answer everybody gives me? Busy, that's right. Busy. You guys, you guys nailed it. So that's the way we describe our life. Busy. And it's often what keeps us from following God, right? It's what keeps us from being obedient to his call. Like you might not be too unholy to follow God, but you might be too busy. And it's just this busyness that keeps you from what God wants you to do. I was reading an article in Psychology Today about the age of information and all the, the, the stuff that's coming at us. It says the age of information has conditioned us to believe that we need to absorb every ounce of information sent our way and squeeze as much as we possibly can into our daily schedules to get the most out of life. Yet if you think about it, constant rushing, jumping from one task to another, and dividing our attention into a million different things is hardly equal to living a life to its fullest. A sense of life passing by is a sure sign of having been distracted for too long from things that are truly important. This is the season that I start to feel like life's passing by. Do you get this sense? Come into Christmas. I'm like, I'm processing this past year. I'm coming into December. I'm like, man, 2021. And I realized that I'm still processing 2019. Anybody else? Like, I feel like I'm two years behind and it's already going to be 2022. And I'm just like, where did the year go? Do you ever get that feeling? Do you ever get the feeling like all of your friends are getting older and you wonder why you're not? I just want to be real with you. You are. I am too, right? We're all getting older every single day. Life is moving, but it doesn't have to be passing you by. Does that make sense? Life is always moving, but it doesn't have to be passing you by, and it, and it won't pass you by if you begin to see the needs around you. Awareness determines impact. Paul goes on to describe his God. He wants to help them understand who God really is in Acts 17, 24. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So Paul is, he's, he's working a segue here. He's like, hey, I know that you guys believe in lots of different gods. You worship these idols that you've created, but he's like, there's a God that made everything. And they're probably nodding their heads like, okay, maybe there is this God that believes everything. But he's saying, this God doesn't live in the temples made by human hands. This is not a created God, right? And so if you have a pen, write this down. Gifts, not gods. Gifts, not gods. When you turn gifts into gods, what's going to happen is you're going to miss out on your life. You're going to miss out on God's call for you. And there were two specific philosophies that Paul was dealing with in this current moment. And they were known as the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, the Stoics worshipped the material universe, and what they took pride in was their ability to control themselves, to have a handle on their lives, to not get too emotionally connected to the things that are happening around them. In fact, they were known that if there were people in their lives that they loved, they knew someday they might lose them, and so when they would look at their children or their, 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 their spouse, they would say in their minds every day, one day you'll die, one day you'll die, one day, to, this is a terrible way to live, by the way, just to, to kind of ease the pain of the day that potentially is coming when they will 
die. And so their idea was to worship the universe, worshiping this idea of, of just controlling themselves. And then there were the Epicureans who loved pleasure. Their obsession was just the next high. They wanted a life avoid of all pain, all anxiety, all fear. And so they worshiped the things that they had. They worshiped the moments that they could create. I mean, they were like obsessed with living the life of the Instagram influencer every day, right? That's how they felt. They just wanted to live this life constantly moving after the next pleasure. And yet they both were struggling. They both found themselves worshiping the creation rather than the creator, worshiping the gifts and turning those gifts into God's. Now, for you, I want you to ask yourself, do you think you've got some idols in your life? And I think in the church, when we talk about idols, we tend to kind of dismiss those things because maybe you haven't bowed down to your MasterCard lately or whatever it is, but these things can become idols. And so here's a test for you. An idol is anything we're willing to sacrifice obedience to God for. I'm going to say it again. An idol is anything we are willing to sacrifice obedience to God for. Let me give you some examples. So you bow to the God of your relationship status when you start to date somebody who suddenly acts like they're a Christian, even though you know they're not because they think that you're smoking hot. And you know this, right? Because they're, they're, they're social media, it's very clear. Like there's no sense of, of, of love for God or love for the church. Like it just kind of appeared out of nowhere. Man, you were a great influence really quickly. That's amazing. Like, and I'll tell you, I, I know that if you're single in the room, I know that you can find at least one married couple who's like, we did the missionary dating thing and it worked out great for us. Like I know you can find one, but as a pastor who's been doing this for like 18 years, I promise you the odds are against you. And I have way more stories of couples who come in for counseling because they're like, man, I believe in Jesus, he doesn't, or I believe in Jesus and she doesn't, and now we have children and we don't know what to teach them. And it is the most damaging, painful thing in their lives. It's the fact that they are not on the same page. I know right now it might not feel like it makes a difference, but again, all the things that God has for us are for our own benefit. It's always for our own benefit. But we realize when we kind of give up, we're like, I'm going to give a couple inches to this thing that we actually worship the God of our relationship status. You worship the God of success when you're willing to be dishonest to get ahead of your coworkers. You worship the God of money when you begin to hoard what God gave you to help. So we start to see this is happening in our lives. Paul sees that, man, they are worshiping all kinds of different gods. These people are obsessed with their idols. And, and even to the point, they want to make sure that they cover all their bases. And in fact, Acts 17, 23, it says, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. He's going to tell them who this God is. Paul is like, he's such a brilliant teacher. He so brilliantly understands the people that he's like, he meets them right where they are. He says, hey, you guys have built your own junk drawer altar. You know, you have a drunk junk drawer in your house. It's got like pens and hair ties and plane tickets, anything. It goes, this is that altar. It's the altar to the unknown God. They wanted so badly to make sure that all their gods were covered, they just came up with the unknown God altar. Paul says, hey, this God is not unknown. And this is a message that we hear today all the time, is that you can't know God. I promise you today, you can. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about a God that wants to be known. A God that would show up, Emmanuel, God is with 
us, right? So that's what Christmas is about. Paul, he's going to take them there, right? In fact, back in Acts 4, he makes this statement. He says, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus. Jesus makes these really amazing statements about how he is the only way and the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. So Paul's like, hey, this unknown God is knowable. It's Jesus. Jesus is this unknown God. Here's how he describes his God, Acts 17, 26. It says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. This God created everything. Having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This God put boundaries on the world. He, he is literally over all things. And God, his point is so clear. Paul's point is so clear that God created everything. He made mankind in his image. So it's foolish that we would create God in our image. This idea that we would create our own gods is absolutely crazy. So he's taking their own beliefs. And he's starting to take them a step further. And he's saying, this is who you've been looking for. It's Jesus. He's the answer to all of your questions. It's Jesus. Gifts, not gods. Where have you found yourself worshiping the creation rather than the creator? Where has this been a a challenge for you? We all find ourselves doing it once in a while. And the people that I think start to understand this reality, that this is just a gift for now, whatever it is that God has put in your hand, They say something, I hear this a lot from many of you, and they say this statement, I think it's an identifier of their heart, they say this, you can't take it with you. Have you ever said that before? You can't take it with you. If you've never said that, maybe you need to say that. Today, maybe you need to walk out to the parking lot and look at your shiny car and go, can't take it with you. Maybe you need to check your bank account balance at the end of church today and go, can't take it with you. You need to look at your cryptocurrency balance and go, can't take take it with you, right? I mean, you need to look at your house and go, you can't take it with you. You look at your clothing and go, you can't take it with you. You need to look in the mirror and go, you can't take it with you, right? Like, just be real and go, you can't take it with you. It's all going to change. And in the end, we have to have that you can't take it with you perspective so that we don't turn gifts into gods. In the Christmas Carol, the ghost of Christmas past introduces Ebenezer to two children, if you know the story. And I think their names are really pertinent for the message here today because their names represent two major threats that Dickens saw to people experiencing the joy of the present. Two things that would keep them from really living the life that they have right now. And their names are ignorance and want. Ignorance and want. As you look at your life, is there anything that you've chosen to be ignorant about? Is there anything in your life that you're thinking, man, I hope that doesn't come back to bite me? I hope I can just look away from that part of my life and it will just go away. How's that working out for you? What I've, my experience is this. Problems don't go away. They just grow when they're left alone, right? They start off really small and then they turn into great big huge monsters that want to destroy my life. That's, that's how it, it is in my life. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now listen to this who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what Paul is saying in Romans is that we're all liable for the truth. That none of us have like an excuse. We don't get to say, if I don't look it in the eye, I'm not responsible for it. It's still there. 
That thing in your life, that thing that you're like, man, I don't want to deal with that issue. That's how sin works, is sin is always growing. Idols always grow. Do you know that? They never stay as they are. How about this? We live in a society that worships a lot of different things. Um, One of the things that our society worships is sex, right? And this is clear. And again, we live in a society like the Athenians, who is like, we've progressed so far. Look at how free we are socially, yet we live in the most sexually broken culture that's ever existed right now. So where's the progress, right? We feel like we're free, and yet we're actually in bondage through what we call freedom, right? And so we look at the progression, we see our society, and I just think of things like, how about this? When I was a kid, um, I used to watch I Love Lucy. Anybody used to watch I Love Lucy when you're, okay, a bunch of you. So I used to love watching that as a kid. Now, one of the things I remember noticing when I was young and asking questions was when they would go to their bedroom, what's the thing that you noticed that was kind of unique about their bedroom? Two beds, right? If you're under the age of like 25, you, have no, you can go watch some I Love Lucy reruns. The two beds thing. Anyway, it, it, it's real. It exists. And the producers in their day thought it would be too sexually explicit for daytime television that two adults who are married would go to one bed, so they added a second bed. So, so this is what they did. Now we live in a world of naked and afraid, right? That's the world we live in with some like film school reject who doesn't know how to work the blurry button or whatever. Like it's, it's wrong 50% of the time. I, I, I've never seen it, but anyway, I just, I've been told. I've been told that. But that's the world we live in. Do you see the progression, right? Do you see the desensitizing of our culture that we go, man, it wasn't okay, but now it's okay, and is it leading to more freedom? The answer is no. It's no. So what's driving your ignorance? Have you ever chosen intentional ignorance about the things that are going around you, going on around you? James 4:17 says, "Anyone then who knows the right thing to do yet fails to do it is guilty of sin." Proverbs 24.11 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. If you say, Behold, we do not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Man, you can't fool God. God knows your heart. He knows my heart. And I I believe the best way to fight this chosen ignorance in your life is to choose to engage. To engage with the problem. To look the idol in the eye. Or to look the broken part of our culture in the eye and say, God has placed me here in this moment to do something. There's a time for prayer. There's a time to sit back and just ask God to move. And there's a time for action. And I want you to know there's some things that our church and I believe all Christians need to act upon, some things that should anger us right now that we should be leaning in on and that what we see in this moment as Paul is in the city square sharing the gospel is that the gospel is meant for the world, not just for you. That at some point you have to speak up about the gospel. That at some point you have to actually stop only practicing what you preach but preaching what you practice, right? That we have to use words to describe what's changed in our hearts. And I know like the word evangelism is a bad word to a lot of people. If you've been in the church for a long time, when you hear evangelism, you think of some dude screaming, you know, on a street corner with a bullhorn. And you're just like, man, I don't know if I want to do that. I get that. I don't want to do that either. But I want you to know, here's the deal. We live in a society where 
It's not, it's, it's overstepping the bounds to share what you believe as a Christian. That's, what, that's, that's what's being preached to the church is like, you're overstepping if you tell people that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Like you just, you can't do that. But listen, here's the deal. Your friends and neighbors are being evangelized to every single day. It's just, they're being evangelized by Amazon. They're being evangelized by Netflix. They're being evangelized by, by everybody else in the world. Sometimes the only people in our society who aren't evangelizing are the Christians, are the people who actually have good news. That's what evangelism is. If you're like, that's a weird word. It simply means good news. The world says, oh, here's good news by this. Oh, here, here's good news. Live this way. You know, throw all sexual boundaries out the window. That's good news. That's going to lead you to life. And yet the only good news that exists is Jesus in the church. Listen, we have that message to share. The question is, are you sharing it? Are you willing to take a step? And, and there's so many different ways to do it. I love that Paul, again, this is a public thing. He's inserting himself into the public square. People all around the city were talking about what Paul had to say. It's why we do things like the Christmas light show. And I don't know how to make this more clear sometimes because it's like sometimes people are like, why Christmas lights? Because this is a very simple way for our, our community to see that there's something going on here. And it's deeper than Christmas lights. We were on the news a few weeks ago, and I love when the church, any church, gets on the news. I think it's good for all churches when churches get on the news for good things. For good things. They're on the news for bad things all the time. But when they're on the news for good things, and Pastor Stewart, he's often the one who's uh, running the outreach events, and so he'll be on the, the one on the news going, we just do this because we believe that Jesus loves our city. We just do this because Christ changed our hearts, and so we just we want to serve others the way that Christ served us. He, there's always just a very simple message that will cause people around the water cooler on Monday morning to go, do you see what that church is doing? Why are they doing that? What's going on? See, this is our way of having an Areopagus moment. Our city knows what's going on at the church. I'm hearing stories about your friends and neighbors who are like, I don't even go to church, but I love ACF because they are waving at me every night during my commute. Every night there's people and they're dressed up as snowmen and Christmas trees and they're shaking out there and they're having a blast. Our small group was out there a few days ago and we loved it. We loved it. Just so you know, there's some gaps in the schedule this next week. You can sign up and it will be the best part of your week, I promise you. People are very happy. People are trying to give us money. We say, no, we will not take any money. Somebody was trying to sell tickets to our event on Facebook. We're like, no. <laughs> I don't even know who you are. Don't sell tickets to our event. There are no tickets involved. It's a totally free event. So the first child's name was ignorance. The second child's name was want. Both of these children are a threat to you living the life God has called you to live. Ignorance and want. What is it that you want so badly that you choose ignorance to what God has for you? What is it that you are after that you just will not let go of, that you are just willing to go, God, I don't have to follow you. I don't have to listen to you in this moment. We come up with a lot of things, but the one want that Jesus talks about more than any is the want for money because we know that money leads to a lot of other things. It can get us some of the things that we want, and so we all are prone to worship this gift of money. And In fact, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus speaks about it. He says, no one can serve two masters. Don't miss that. It's not possible. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You just can't do it. There's three things I was thinking that are really clear in the teachings of Jesus. The first is that there's only enough room for one God on your heart. 
The second is that we are all sinners in need of saving. And the third is this, whatever you're serving is your God, whether you like it or not. Whether you admit it or not. Whether you choose to look at it or not, whatever you are serving is your God, which begs the question, will what you're serving be able to save you? I want a God that can save me. So will what you're serving be able to save you? We are all liable for this truth. Maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years and you're like, yeah, if I'm honest, I say I'm a Christian, but I serve this. Then don't say you're a Christian because you're not. In the end, we're, we, are, we worship what we serve, right? We will serve what sits on the throne of our hearts. It's what we naturally do. We are beings of worship. You were created to worship. Whether you love God or love money or love things or love status or love whatever it is, you will worship something. Will that thing that you worship have the power to save you? Acts 17, it gets real. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now... He commands all people everywhere. How many people? All people. So not all people, it's not, 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 not a few people or just people that are in this room, but all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. God is a righteous judge. He's a fair judge by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who's this man that God will judge us by? Church answer, Jesus, right? Jesus is the man who God will judge us by and Jesus will either say, come into this kingdom, well done, good and faithful servant, or he's gonna say, away with you, I never knew you. You never served me. Again, you gotta understand this. We don't serve God so that he'll love us. We serve God because he loves us. Because he's arrived to this world, and that's what Christmas celebrates, the arrival of a God who didn't keep his distance. This is the good news. So let me ask you some honest questions as we close. Where is there intentional ignorance in your life? What's the thing that you don't want to pop the hood on that you're like, I hope that noise goes away. Let's just keep driving. Where is that in your life? Where has a gift become a God? And then maybe the most important question today is this, what will the truth reveal? That day that we stand before God, as our hearts are laid bare before God for who we actually are, not for who I think you are or for who your spouse thinks you are, for who your friends at school think you are, but for who God says you are, what will the truth reveal? Remember these three points. Awareness determines impact, right? Here's the gospel. Jesus saw our sin and he didn't look away. Praise God. Praise God that Jesus didn't go, what a mess the world has made for itself. I'm going over here. I'm just going to act like that never happened. What are they doing? Oh, just don't act like it's there. No, Jesus doesn't overlook our sin. He shows up to deal with it. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus shows up to deal with the sin of the world. Second point, gifts, not God's. Do you know that Philippians 2 says that God did not use his gift of being God as a reason to keep a distance from us. But Jesus took on the flesh of humanity, was born as a baby in a terrible situation at the darkest moment in human history. So grateful we have a God that doesn't keep his distance. 
We have a God that is near to the brokenhearted. The third point, our heart's true desire will be revealed. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God's desire is that all of humanity would be saved. Yes, even you. Yes, even me. That's God's desire is that you could step from darkness to light today. And I just, I want you to know you can actually leave here believing that. You can leave here knowing in your heart that God loves you, that you're part of his family. And maybe for some of you here today, you just need to start by receiving that gift. And I want to give you a chance to do that here in just a minute. Would you pull out your action card real quick? This is just something we do here every week as a church. If you're new to this, I know it's a little different. But uh, we realized a while back that it's really easy for all of us to leave church and do nothing about it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you've ever done that before. And so this is just a simple way. We just, if you want to tear this thing off the bottom... And we just drop this in the basket on the way out. And uh, all we're going to do is text you one time this week to let you know we're praying for you and we're glad God's working in the area that he's working in. That's all. So maybe for you, you just need to say, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Today's my day. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to lay down my pride. I'm ready to stop worshiping this idol. Start to worship God. If that's you, if you want to receive that, I'll give you a chance to do that in just a minute, but check that box. Maybe for you, it's that I will not use the ignorance in my heart as an excuse anymore. I'm not going to use ignorance as an excuse. Well, I just didn't know. Well, you did know. We all know. How about this? I will discipline my greed by being generous. It's one of the most powerful things you can do, especially as we come into Christmas. The time of generosity is go, honestly, like, The reason Jesus talks so much about money is because it is the God that's most likely to keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. So how do you discipline that? Well, that's why generosity is such an important thing for us. And so we as a church, we talk a lot about how we want to lead the way in generosity. We want to be the most generous uh, Christians people have ever met to our city. And maybe it's this, just to come back next week for the Ghost of Christmas future as we close out this series. And so maybe that's you, just to show up Studies show that people show up to church about once or twice a month, and I just promise you, if that's your only Christian influence, you are dying on the vine. You are starving. You need more than that. I need more than that. And so maybe just make a commitment to be here every single week, like this, coming into this new year, to believe that God's going to work through that. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us and give us a chance just to respond to God's word here today. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? And if you're here and... Maybe as I'm talking, you're like, yeah, Brian, honestly, I sit on the throne of my own heart. I don't want to give authority to God, and I never have. If that's you, I just want to give you a chance to surrender that to God. Let's just pray that together. Father, we all have a tendency to believe that we can handle our lives, to think that we can control things, and we know that in the end we can't. So, Father, we surrender our hearts to you. I want to step today out of darkness into light. Father, would you heal the wounds in my heart, wounds that were made by other people, wounds that I've created on my own, maybe things that I've misunderstood about you, misunderstood about the church. God, could you heal the wounds in my heart? I trust you with my life. I trust that all I've done is not too great for the cross, that Jesus is fully sufficient to meet my needs. Father, thank you for our church family. God, thanks that we don't have to do this life alone. Thank you, Father, that you are a good God that's worthy of our worship, a God who will satisfy 
our every need. God, as we come into this Christmas season, we're so excited for the chance to share the gospel with a city that definitely needs to hear it. May we open our lips. God, would you just give boldness to ACF Church today? God, I just pray against a spirit of fear or timidity in this church family. God, that we would own this moment in this present time and the opportunity we have to share the gospel, to introduce people to hope for their souls in the name of Jesus. We love you, God. Thank you for meeting us where we are. Thank you for meeting us right here. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.